Part 4 Young Man's Fancy Among these raving maniacs, I recognize the singular face of Grace Marks, no longer sad and despairing, but lighted up with the fire of insanity and glowing with a hideous and fiend-like merriment. On perceiving that strangers were observing her, she fled shrieking away like a phantom into one of the side rooms. It appears that even in the wildest bursts of her terrible malady, she is continually haunted by a memory of the past. Unhappy girl. When will the long horror of her punishment and remorse be over? When will she sit at the feet of Jesus, clothed with the unsullied garments of his righteousness, the stain of blood washed from her hand, and her soul redeemed and pardoned, and in her right mind? Let us hope that all her previous guilt may be attributed to the incipient workings of this frightful malady. Susanna Moody, Life in the Clearings, 1853 It is of the greatest regret that we do not have the knowledge whereby we might cure these unfortunate afflicted. A surgeon can cut open an abdomen and display the spleen. Muscles can be cut out and shown to young students. The human psyche cannot be dissected, nor the brain's workings put out on the table to display. When a child, I have played games with a blindfold, obscuring my vision. Now I am like that child, blindfolded, groping my way, not knowing where I am going or if I am in the proper direction. Someday, someone will remove that blindfold. Dr. Joseph Workman, Medical Superintendent, Provincial Lunatic Asylum, Toronto. Letter to Henry, a young and troubled inquirer, 1866. One need not be a chamber to be haunted. One need not be a house. The brain has corridors surpassing material place. Our self behind our self concealed should startle most. Assassin hid in our apartment be horrors least. Emily Dickinson, circa 1863. Chapter 6 To Dr. Simon Jordan, M.D., Laburnum House, Loomisville, Massachusetts, the United States of America, from Dr. Joseph Workman, Medical Superintendent, the Provincial Lunatic Asylum, Toronto, Canada West, April 15, 1859. Dear Dr. Jordan, I beg to acknowledge receipt of your letter of second instant and to thank you for the letter of introduction from my esteemed colleague, Dr. Binswanger of Switzerland, the establishment of whose new clinic I have followed with great interest. Permit me to say that as an acquaintance of Dr. Binswanger, you would be most welcome to inspect the institution of which I am the superintendent at any time. I would be most pleased to show you over the premises myself and to explain our methods to you. As you intend to establish an institution of your own, I should emphasize that sanitation and good drainage are of the first importance, as it is of no use to attempt to minister to a mind diseased whilst the body is afflicted by infections. This side of things is too often neglected. At the time of my advent here, we had many cholera outbreaks, perforating dysenteries, intractable diarrheas, and the whole deadly typhoid family, which were plaguing the asylum, 
In the course of my investigations as to their source, I discovered a large and exceedingly noxious cesspool underlying every part of the cellars, in some places the consistency of a strong infusion of black tea, and in others like viscid soft soap, which was undrained due to the failure of the builders to connect the drains to the main sewer in addition to which the water supply for both drinking and washing was drawn through an intake pipe from the lake in a stagnant bay, close by the pipe through which the main sewer discharged its putrid flow. It is no wonder that the inmates often complained that their drinking water tasted of a substance which few of them had ever experienced any great longing to consume. The inmates here are pretty evenly divided as to sex. As to symptoms, there is a great variety. Religious fanaticism I find to be fully as prolific and exciting cause of insanity as intemperance. But I am inclined to believe that neither religion nor intemperance will induce insanity in a truly sound mind. I think there is always a predisposing cause which renders the individual liable to the malady when exposed to any disturbing agency, whether mental or physical. However, for information regarding the chief object in your inquiry, I regret that you must seek elsewhere. The female prisoner, Grace Marks, whose crime was murder, was returned to the penitentiary at Kingston in August of 1853, after a stay of 15 months. As I myself was appointed only some three weeks prior to her departure, I had little chance of making a thorough study of her case. I have therefore referred your letter to Dr. Samuel Bannerling, who attended her under my predecessor. As to the degree of insanity by which she was primarily affected, I am unable to speak. It was my impression that for a considerable time past, she had been sufficiently sane to warrant her removal from the asylum. I strongly recommended that in her discipline, gentle treatment should be adopted. I believe she presently spends a part of each day as a servant in the governor's family. She had, towards the latter end of her stay, conducted herself with much propriety, whilst by her industry and general kindness towards the patients, she was found a profitable and useful inmate of the house. She suffers occasionally under nervous excitement and a painful overreaction of the heart. One of the chief problems facing the superintendent of a publicly funded institution such as this is the tendency on the part of prison authorities to refer to us many troublesome criminals, among them atrocious murderers, burglars and thieves, who do not belong among the innocent and uncontaminated insane, simply to have them out of the prison. It is impossible that a building constructed with a proper reference to the comfort and the recovery of the insane can be a place of confinement for criminal lunatics, and certainly much less so for criminal impostors and I am strongly inclined to suspect that the latter class are more numerous than may generally be supposed. Besides the evil consequences inevitably resulting to the patients from the commingling of innocent with criminal lunatics, there is reason to apprehend a deteriorating influence on the tempers and habits of the keepers and officers of the asylum, unfitting them for the humane and proper treatment of the former. But as you propose to establish a private institution, you will, I trust, incur fewer difficulties of this nature, and will suffer less from the irritating political interference that frequently prevents their rectification. And in this, as in general matters, I wish you every success in your endeavors. Enterprises such as yours are unfortunately much required at present 
both in our own country and in yours. As due to the increased anxieties of modern life and the consequent stresses upon the nerves, the rate of construction can scarcely keep pace with the numbers of applicants. And I beg to proffer any small assistance, which it may lie within my power to bestow. Yours very truly, Joseph Workman, M.D. From Mrs. William P. Jordan, Labernum House, Loomisville, Massachusetts, the United States of America, to Dr. Simon Jordan, care of Major C.D. Humphrey, Lower Union Street, Kingston, Canada West, April 29th, 1859. My dearest son, your long-awaited note containing your present address and the instructions for the rheumatism salve arrived today. It was a joy to see your dear handwriting again, even so little of it. And it is good of you to take an interest in your poor mother's failing constitution. I take this opportunity to write you a few lines while enclosing the letter which arrived here for you the day after your departure. Your recent visit to us was all too brief. When may we expect to see you among your family and friends once more? So much traveling cannot be salutary, either for your peace of mind or for your health. I long for the day when you choose to settle down among us and to establish yourself properly in a matter fitting to you. I could not help but observe that the enclosed letter is from the Lunatic Asylum in Toronto. I suppose you intend to visit it, although surely you must have seen every such establishment in the world by now and cannot possibly benefit from seeing another. Your description of those in France and England, and even of the one in Switzerland, which is so much cleaner, filled me with horror. We must all pray to have our sanity preserved, but I have grave doubts concerning your future prospects, should your proposed course of action be pursued. You must forgive me for saying, dear son, that I have never been able to understand the interest you take in such things. No one in the family has ever concerned himself with lunatics before although your grandfather was a Quaker clergyman. It is commendable to wish to relieve human suffering, but surely the insane, like idiots and cripples, owe their state to almighty providence, and one should not attempt to reverse decisions which are certainly just, although inscrutable to us. In addition, I cannot believe a private asylum could possibly be made to pay, as the relatives of lunatics are notoriously neglectful once the afflicted person has been put away and wish to hear or see nothing more of them. And this neglect extends to the settlement of their bills. And then there is the cost of food and fuel, and of the persons who must be put in charge of them. There are so many considerations to attend to, and surely the daily consorting with the insane would be far more conducive to a tranquil existence. You must too think of your future wife and children, who ought not to be placed in such close proximity to a pack of dangerous madmen. I know it is not my place to determine your path in life, but I strongly urge that a manufactory would be far preferable, and although the textile mills are not what they were due to the mismanagement of the politicians who abuse the public trust unmercifully and become worse with every passing year, yet there are many other opportunities at present, and some men have done very well at them, as you hear of new fortunes being made every day. And I am sure you have as much energy and sagacity as they. There is talk of a new sewing machine for use in the home, which would do exceedingly well if it might be cheaply produced, for every woman would wish to own such an item, which would save many hours of monotonous toil 
and unceasing drudgery, and would also be of great assistance to the poor seamstresses, could you not invest the small inheritance remaining to you after the sale of your poor father's business in some such admirable but dependable venture? I am certain that a sewing machine would relieve as much human suffering as a hundred lunatic asylums, and possibly a good deal more. Of course, you have always been an idealist and filled with optimistic dreams, but reality must at some time obtrude, and you are now turned thirty. I say these things not from any wish to meddle or interfere, but out of a mother's anxious care for the future of her only and beloved son. I do so hope to see you well established before I die. It would have been your dear father's wish as well. You know I live only for your welfare. My health took a turn for the worse after your departure. Your presence always has an improving effect upon my spirits. I was coughing so much yesterday that my faithful Maureen could scarcely get me up the stairs. She is almost as old and feeble as I am, and we must have looked like two old witches hobbling up a hill. Despite the concoctions I am dosed with several times a day, brewed by my good Samantha in the kitchen, which tastes as vile as all medicines ought to, and which she swears cured her own mother, I continue much the same, although I was well enough today to receive as usual in the parlor. I had several visitors who had heard of my indisposition. Among them, Mrs. Henry Cartwright, who has a good heart, although not always a very polished manner as is often the case with those whose fortunes have been of recent acquisition. But that will come in time. Accompanying her was her daughter Faith, whom you will recall as an awkward girl of thirteen, but who is now grown up and recently returned from Boston, where she was staying with her aunt, to broaden her education. She has turned out a charming young woman, everything one might wish for, and displayed a courtesy and gentle kindness many would admire and which is worth so much more than flamboyant good looks. They brought with them a basket of delicacies. I am thoroughly spoiled by dear Mrs. Cartwright, for which I expressed much gratitude, although I could barely taste anything, as I have no appetite at present. It is a sad thing to be an invalid, and I pray every night that you may be spared, and will take care not to overtire yourself with too much study and nervous strain and with staying up all night by lamplight, ruining your eyes and puzzling your brain to pieces, and to wear wool next to the skin until the warm weather is fully here. Our first lettuces have appeared, and the apple tree is budded. I suppose where you are it is still covered with snow. I do not think that Kingston, being so far north and on the lake shore, can be at all good for the lungs, as it must be very chill and damp. Are your rooms well heated? I do hope you are eating strengthening food, and that they have a good butcher there. I send you all my love, dear son, and Maureen and Samantha beg to be remembered to you, and all of us await the news, which we hope will come very soon, of your next visit to us, until which I remain, as always, your very loving mother. From Dr. Simon Jordan, care of Major C.D. Humphrey. Lower Union Street, Kingston, Canada West, to Dr. Edward Murchie, Dorchester, Massachusetts, the United States of America, May 1st, 1859. My dear Edward, 
I was sorry not to have been able to make a visit to Dorchester to see how you are getting on, now that you have hung your shingle up and have been busy ministering to the local halt and the blind, while I have been gypsying about Europe, seeking how to cast out devils, which between us I still have not learned the secret of as yet. But as you may suppose, the time between my arrival at Loomisville and my departure from it was much taken up with preparations, and the afternoons were perforce consecrated to my mother. But upon my return we must arrange to meet and to lift a glass or two together for old Lang Syne, and to talk over past adventures and current prospects. After a moderately smooth journey across the lake, I have arrived safely at my destination. I have not yet met my correspondent and, as it were, employer, the Reverend Verringer, as he is away on a visit to Toronto. And so I still have that pleasure to anticipate, although if his letters to me are any indication he suffers like many clergymen from a punishable lack of wit and a desire to treat us all as straying sheep, of which he is to be the shepherd. However, it is to him, and to the good Dr. Binswanger, who proposed to me to him as the best man for the purpose on the western side of the Atlantic. For the price, which is not high, the Methodists being notoriously frugal, that I owe this splendid opportunity, an opportunity which I hope to be able to exploit in the interests of the advancement of knowledge. The mind and its workings being still, despite considerable progress, a terra incognita. As to my situation, Kingston is not a very prepossessing town, as it was burnt to the ground some two decades ago and has been rebuilt with charmless dispatch. The new buildings are of stone or brick, which will, one hopes, make them less prone to conflagrations. The penitentiary itself is in the style of a Greek temple, and they are very proud of it here. Though which pagan god is intended to be worshipped therein, I have yet to discover. I have secured rooms in the residence of a major C.D. Humphrey, which, although not luxurious, will be commodious enough for my purposes. I fear, however, that my landlord is a dipsomaniac. On the two occasions upon which I have encountered him, he was having difficulty putting on his gloves, or else taking them off. He seemed uncertain which, and gave me a red-eyed glare, as if to demand what the devil I was doing in his house. I predict that he will end as an inhabitant of the private asylum I still dream of establishing, although I must curb my propensity to view each new acquaintance as a future-paying inmate. It is remarkable how frequently military men, when retired on half-pay, go to the bad. It is as if, having become habituated to strong excitements and violent emotions, they must duplicate them in civilian life. However, my arrangements were made, not with the major, who would doubtless not have been able to recall having made them, but with his long-suffering wife. I take my meals, with the exception of the breakfasts, which have thus far been even more deplorable than the breakfasts we shared as medical students in London, at a squalid inn located in the vicinity, where every meal is a burnt offering, and nothing is thought the worse for the addition of a little dirt and grime and a seasoning of insects. That I remain here despite these travesties of the culinary art I trust you will recognize as a measure of my true devotion to the cause of science. As for society, I must report that there are pretty girls here, as elsewhere, albeit dressed in the Paris fashions of three years ago, which is to say, the New York fashions of two. Despite the reforming tendencies of the country's present government, 
the town abounds both in disgruntled Tories and also in petty provincial snobberies. And I anticipate that your bearish and carelessly dressed, and what is more to the purpose, your Yankee Democrat friend, will be viewed with some suspicion by its more partisan inhabitants. Nonetheless, the governor, at the urging of Reverend Verringer, I suppose, has gone out of his way to be accommodating and has arranged to have Grace Marks placed at my disposal for several hours every afternoon. She appears to act in the household as a sort of unpaid servant, though whether this service is viewed by her as a favor or a penance, I have yet to ascertain, nor will it be an easy task, as the gentle Grace, having been hardened in the fire now for some fifteen years, will be a very hard nut to crack. Enquiries such as mine are ineffective unless the trust of the subject may be gained. But judging from my knowledge of penal institutions, I suspect Grace has had scant reason to trust anyone at all for a very long period of time. I have had only one opportunity thus far of viewing the object of my investigations, and so it is too soon to convey my impressions. Let me say only that I am hopeful, and as you have so kindly expressed a desire to have news of my progress, I will take pains to keep you informed of it. And until then, I remain, my dear Edward, your old friend and erstwhile companion, Simon.